Thanks for joining this special podcast celebrating International Women's Day. I'm delighted to welcome Sharon Crummy, headmistress at Wickham High School in the United Kingdom. Let, let, let me just start off with some really easy questions because, you know, th this is about the, the person behind the role. And I think sometimes people forget that there is a person behind the role and they all started off in the same places most people did through school and you know you've got family you've got interest um so we're going to peel back the uh the sharon crummy headmistress for a bit and then we're going to get into okay. um obviously girls education so what is your favorite color and why oh my favorite color is green um i don't know if there's a particular reason for it other than i just it makes me feel happy it makes me feel calm and maybe because i'm also from ireland and it reminds me of the green fields of ireland fantastic and what about your favourite movie? Do you get time to sit back and watch a great flick? Um, not often. So I'm not probably the best cinema goer. I'm much more of a reader. However, I do love Erin Brockovich. I just think it's a real statement movie. I think, you know, um, Julia Roberts is fantastic in it. And it's a great, great inspirational story. Um, and it doesn't matter how often you watch it. It um, just keeps delivering, you know, for me anyway i watched deep waters recently which again it's set, set in um west virginia it's about teflon and the contamination and um the difficulties that individuals had taking dupont to court which is quite a similar theme in many ways to erin brockovich it's a great movie as well but erin brockovich still the best for me yeah, you, it is a good movie. All of those ones are. There are so many yeah. of these kind of real life stories. I think people are gripped by reality. You know, yeah. we, we want to know those. You know, we, we like to escape with, with, with real fiction, but there's nothing better when you kind of, it's almost like a draw drop when you go, what? That happened? Yeah. yeah no. um, so, yeah, and I think that's some of the best movies are, are, are those movies. So you mentioned reading. You prefer reading. Yes. So what is your favourite book? Fiction, non-fiction favourites? Um tend to read more fiction than anything else so um i did listen during the first lockdown i listened to michelle obama's book becoming uh, it's read by her in audio which makes it even more special but um and i you know i find it hard to just narrow down to one book so currently i've just read um girl woman other by um bernadine evaristo which is really current um and I really, I'd really recommend a, a fantastic book for, for everybody to read, not just women, about the role of women in modern society, particularly um, Black British women. And um, I, I loved it, really. It's really accessible, great read. Um, but I've also read Midnight Library by Matthew Haig, which is, it's quite, it's quite a big topic. You know, it's about mental health. Um, it's about a, a young woman who's struggling um but it has an it's it's uplifting her journey through her her trials and tribulations is really uplifting and it's a fabulous book and i've just finished um shuggy bane by douglas stewart which was a um the booker prize winner and it again tough reading it's set in a um in glasgow a child in a pretty chaotic home and his how he's managed that and dealt with it so um and i defy anyone not to bawl their eyes out crying when they read it but I could keep talking about books. Yeah, and, and do, do, do you read any um, 
more escapist ones uh, you know they 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 all sound quite gritty like you, they're really emotive you have to get into them you, you're kind of vested in this yeah no um, I'm, I guess that's a good point but I do they are gritty but you you know that's the, the the power of a gritty book is that you're in it you're not in your own head you're not in your own reality you are absolutely gripped and absorbed by these great books um, so that, that for me, I, you know, I just, I don't hear people, I don't see people when I'm reading them, but I will read anything, you know, it doesn't have to be anything, um, intellectual or overly gritty. I will read anything and I love it. So, you know, I've, I also, I've really enjoyed, um, JK Rowling's, um, you know, detective series that she, she writes under a pseudonym, et cetera. I love all detective programs and TV. So give me any sort of book you know like that the Joe Nesbo books again probably a bit gritty because they're all about death and murder but <laughs> <laughs> you know um you know I, I just really like them yeah fantastic what about cuisine do you have a go-to cuisine that you would favor and also do you have a favorite dish um anything to do with curries I just love curry so from whatever country um they're fabulous so I went to had the and the good fortune to go to Sri Lanka um, on a recent holiday. It was a combined school trip. So we have a sister school there, but it was fantastic. So I was able to eat curry for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was, you know, that, that's what was on offer and that was the tradition. And it was absolutely fabulous. So any type of curry, love it. And we um, cook them regularly at home and have them regularly at home as well. Yeah, and, and curry, you, you can't escape curry as being part of the, the, the staple diet. Oh, fantastic. It's so versatile, you know, you can put anything in a curry, can't you? Lovely yeah. vegetarian curry, fish, meat, whatever you want. And you never get bored of them. You know, you know sometimes you, you'll have some cuisine and you can eat, you can overeat, right? You can overeat some meals and you go, oh, do you know, I never want to have another one of them again. Yes. But with the curry, it's one of those, uh, it doesn't matter. I'll have it the next day for breakfast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Three times a day. <laughs> so curry it is um you obviously started off as a management consultant anyway so you had a different career before you went this way um what was was there a big decision point where you decided to get out of sort of the consultancy and get into education and mm. if you were to go back again would you do a different career so if you couldn't do management consultancy and you couldn't be a you know go into education what else would you do my goodness that's a good question well, I think the um, first part of your question is, you know, why the change in management consultancy? You work, anyone who's done management consultancy knows you work really, really hard. So it's long hours, you can be placed in any country around the world, or certainly I could have been. And it's very rewarding because you're problem solving, you're delivering at rapidly um, solutions for customers. But for me, the moral purpose of what I was doing was missing. And I learned that about myself, that, um, I needed to know that I was making a difference um, with a moral purpose behind it. And I'd always toyed with education. So that was why the change. So then to answer the final part of the question, what would I do if it wasn't management consultancy or education? That, that moral purpose bit doesn't change for me. Um, and I know that's part now of me. It's part of my core. So I would need to know that I was doing something that can make a, a difference to many, not a few. And it's not just about commercial profit lines. So, you know, maybe if I had my time again, perhaps I'd be interested in something to do with government or try and become an MP, perhaps. Who knows? 
how is that about moral? You know, again, isn't it? It's, oh, it's, a, wow. it's, it's a paradox, isn't it? When, yes. when you talk about politics and, and morality. Um, well, I, no, I, I get your point about it's about cha changing the lives of people. You know, how can you make a positive impact um, well, to more good people? Governments, good governments make a positive impact. Yeah, I know we can all, and we should in a democracy, we can challenge decisions and we may not like certain policies and we can make a difference with our vote. That's what we should do. But, you know, good governments make good laws that change society in a very positive way, yeah. um, which is probably relevant to what we're about to talk about, Simon, as well. Absolutely. Um, and and for, for everyone listening to the podcast, um, I mean, I, I'm... I'm actually a neighbour, really, of, of of Sharon's because we we, we live in the same town, um, and so you know, should should Sharon go into politics, it is likely that <laughs> you know she'll be canvassing at my door, um, which is which is food for thought for you all um, when, when we kind of roll on and go that that could be that could be Sharon and me in the future. Um, so I, I'm I'm not going to say I'm going to vote for you because I don't know your policies, but um, I do know that right now what you're doing at, at that Wickham High School um, and leading girls' education is fantastic. And, you know, I know you've always been passionate about it. I've seen it. We've obviously spoken at conferences together. And today is about International Women's Day. Um, why is that important? And why is it important to you? And why is it important to Wickham High School? Yeah, well, it's a movement that I think started way back in the early 1900s when 15,000 women took to the streets in New York to complain about poor working conditions. And then a German lady after that made the call to make it, you know, international. And then the UN picked up the um, theme as well to support it and put their weight behind it in the 60s. And that in itself tells you something that there are women internationally who felt that their voice had to be heard and had to be raised. And um, it's still the case today. And it, this is an international movement, you know, so we can sit in our homes in England and think, well, it's, it's all fine, isn't it? Um, but we must never forget that there are still millions of young girls and women across the world for whom um, their experience does not match the UK's and indeed, um, the UK position I would um, advocate still needs to improve for women. So it's hugely important um, um, as our, you know, um, single sex schools. So the two interrelated, but very different. So our, we love to celebrate it at Wickham High School um, because we think, you know, women are increasingly playing a important and leading role, thankfully, in developing society, leading society and businesses and shaping the future. Um, we represent 50% of the world's population, so we deserve that place at the table. Agreed. Um, you, you mentioned a, a, a kind of a global initiative, and this is a global initiative. Yeah. Um, how much of what can be done locally, you know, within, within your local county, within your school, can absolutely influence the, um, this, this, this agenda um, around, you know, it, women's equality, um, and things to do with International Women's Day? Um, I'd, I'd say a few things on that, Simon. It's a good question because, um, you know, often you see in society that very important initiatives start at a very small grassroots level and then they grow and they mushroom until change comes, a bit like International Women's Day and its origin. So I think what every school does um, can have an impact. Schools are very collaborative places. 
So we all talk to each other, we all share best practice. So if one school is doing something very important to promote its students and to nurture them and to develop them, then we can all help each other. So that's one key important part of it. Um, the other part is that every year um, in every school, you have a new intake. So there's a new generation joining every year and there's a generation leaving every year to go into university life or into apprenticeships or the workplace. And of course they are the future. They will be the people doing our job, Simon. They will be the politicians of the future, the leaders of the future. So we hope in schools that we're equipping them, not just with qualifications, that's really the minor bit with the skill set, um, the values and the drive to make a difference. And I think when I look back to my own education, um, which I thought was tremendous, that instilling of those values to give you that, that, um, that grinding to contribute. So it's not just all about me, but it is about the collective good and that we all have a responsibility for that. And I think girls' schools are phenomenally good at sending out that message and nurturing and celebrating one another and helping one another in, along the way in our careers as well. Yeah, I mean, celebrating the, the um, stewardship, the community, the friendships. Um, I've, I see that firsthand with my own family and obviously my, my friends. Um, today, you know, the theme is all around choose to challenge. It's a tough day because you, yeah. you know, you, you've got how many girls coming back today at school? Um, all of year, years 10 to year 13. So that's um, 800 today with right. another um, 500 over the next couple of days. Wow. So, so how are you finding time, obviously, to support um, International Women's Day? And are there any initiatives that, that you're doing that you, you want to talk about? Well, bizarrely, as a, a stroke of luck, um, the government choosing the 8th of March for the reopening of schools is the best present ever for International Women's Day. So our biggest celebration is reopening. Um, but we've also got an assembly um, planned for this week on International Women's Day. And our heads of years and heads of house have chosen inspirational women to talk about and are encouraging our students to do the same. We've got tutor time activities that are very much focused on the theme for this year's International Women's Day that you've just mentioned. And um, so we're going to be encouraging our girls to speak up um, and to challenge any gender bias and to contribute to change. So we've, um, and we use votes for schools. Um, so we will actually be asking the whole community to vote in certain questions, to see what they think, and to really encourage that debate and that change. So a whole range of activities throughout the week to raise awareness, but to actually also get everybody talking about it. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Have you ever faced gender bias challenges in your own personal life or career and how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So um, I went to an all-girls school um, in Belfast, a grammar school. Um, and so I have to say I didn't feel gender bias there because we were really supported we just believe we could do whatever we wanted to do. Um, and I grew up um, 
and went to school at the height of um, the Troubles in Northern Ireland, um, when all around us there was terrorism. Um, so education really was your, your ticket, I guess, to a better life. And we, we were taught in school, you could see that um, education was a way to make things better. And women um, suffered very badly in the Troubles in Northern Ireland at the time because they were often the ones left at home when men were in prison. Um, and there was a lot of poverty and difficulty. So I saw that firsthand um, and, you know, had friends who suffered terribly as a result of the troubles. Um, and that was a real issue of gender, gender problems um, in terms of poverty and disadvantage for young women and young people at that time. So that was one thing in you know, my formative years. I was lucky when I went to university, again, I went to university in Belfast, Queen's University Belfast very formative years for me, just a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, I did a law degree and um, I think that was in the early 80s and 50% of the course were female, which I think looking back probably wasn't the norm at the time. So again, I, 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 I was in a world which didn't particularly feel at that stage that um, there was any gender bias, certainly in, in, in that um, academic formative stage. Um, when I went into the workplace, um, I was one of very few women in management consultancy, um, but um, I suppose the one thing I didn't like was confidence. <laughs> and um, if I really can't say that I felt there was any gender bias at all, I was supported very well. I did very well in my career. Um, and then I went into education. And that's quite interesting because look what I've just told you. We talk a lot about um, supporting our, our girls in girls' schools, um, telling them they can be whatever they want to be, as I was age 11 to 18. And I walked into probably the most male-dominated world I've ever worked in. Um, and that's saying something, because I was comparing it to management consultancy in the 80s. Um, most school leaders were male. And um, when I took up the headship at um, Wickham High, um, I think I was one of, um, one of two. Um, female head teachers in Buckinghamshire and um, from memory if not one I'd previously been the first female deputy head of um, a boys grammar school in Buckinghamshire um, so it did not feel there was gender equality at leadership in schools and that's still the same today that there are far more men leading schools nationally there are about two and a half um, nearly 3,000 secondary schools in England in the state sector and the majority of those are led by men yet the majority of women are, majority of teachers are women. So there's something there that needs to be explored and changed to get. So there is gender bias in that system for um, a range of reasons. And when I got the headship at Wickham High School, I can remember um, a very friendly person. Um, it was a consultant who'd helped with the um, recruitment process, telling me to be aware of the glass ceiling and that I might come across problems. And I, I, I thought, really? Um, and sadly, she's right. So I've sat now around the table with many colleagues, um, with many politicians, um, with many people in the Department for Education. Um, and for the first time ever in my life, I felt my voice wasn't heard. And I felt um, that the voice of girls wasn't being heard because the educational system in the UK, it's probably unconscious bias, but it's an educational system that was built for boys. Yeah. Um, and still in many ways, I believe, operates in that mode. So things still need to change. 
And I'm committed to keeping going with that and to inspiring newer teachers, newer leaders, and all of my students to keep up with that um, campaign. Yeah, and it's you know that is, I mean that, that, that's that's great. Um, it, it's great hearing your your, your journey, um, and particularly around around gender gender bias. You know, you mentioned unconscious bias. Um, again, it's it's made headlines because people you know it, it's innate from from early early days in, in in a child's life and actually what how a parent you know brings up their children with stereotypes um you know society has, has been set up in a man's image and you know it's it's then we're trying to fix it almost too late mm-hmm. um and you know it requires a huge amount of resilience on the part of female leaders like yourself to do it um it must be tough at times where you just go i'm getting nowhere how do you draw in a strength to keep going, going, this is a cause I believe in and whatever change I can do, however small it might be in my time, is worth it? Well, I guess it comes back to some of the very core skills and um, attributes that we work every day in our school to, to help our students develop. Resilience, bravery, perseverance, creativity, um, there's always a way around things. Um, if you don't get the first time of asking, you can keep going. Um, so it's all of those. And we all have bad days. Um, and it's learning how to cope with the knocks and to bounce back. And also something we say to Wickham High School students all the time is never be afraid of failure. So you're not going to get change if you're not going to speak up for it. And I spoke to you very personally about my view on gender bias, but what about those people who have more than one experience of bias? You know, um, I moved from Ireland to England in the early 90s, and because of terrorism in Ireland, there were some people who did not want to speak to me because of my heritage, my Irish heritage. So you start to look at transactional bias. It's not just gender, for me, it was also cultural. And now we've got, you know, female students at Wickham High School who um, are of a different, a non-white British background, who are not only experiencing gender bias potentially, but bias because of um, their heritage, their religion, their culture, um, or their sexual orientation. So there are there are there are people in all of our schools, um, male or female, who are expecting experiencing bias on multiple levels. And what I'm most encouraged by, and this is how I cope and keep going, um, is actually the young people, they keep you fresh and alive and driven because they are a different generation and, you know, they inspire us as well. Agree. I mean, calling it out and we've we've seen um, a lot of that over the recent years, you know, high high profile cases um, where people and, you know, particularly the women have felt actually there was suddenly... Um, some weight behind this voice that that you know I've I've had a quiet voice on this now I feel confident to step forward and you know there's suddenly a group of supporting people not just women because you know we, we have to bring men into this as well because you know this is this is about celebrating and ensuring that we aren't being you know biased in our views um, you know and as a father of two daughters um, I have two sons as well as you know you know, it's, it's increasingly and incredibly important that I get it right. And I don't always get it right, but I, I do see the challenges ahead for my daughters. Um, and I don't want them to feel that there is ever a glass ceiling. 
or that they ever have to, you know, sacrifice being a mother over a career. And it should never be that way. But they're all, I think they're juggling more things um, as, they, as they go through it. You know, High Wycombe is in a very diverse place and it's beautifully, richly diverse. And it's one of the, the, the really great things about living in this area. Um, as, as you mentioned about, you know, different uh, you know, ethnicities, diversities, you know, being, being inclusive is massively important. Research has shown that women, particularly women from ethnic minority backgrounds, have mostly been affected by this pandemic. Um, what does this show and what should we be doing to, to support them? Well, I think um, irrespective of gender, um, people from um, BAME backgrounds, Black, Asian, minority ethnic backgrounds, have struggled um, more, been hit more by the pandemic. Um, and that's um, the exact reasons why the scientists will know more than me. Um, I'm sure there are scientific, biological reasons, perhaps, but also there is um, something around um, disadvantage that unfortunately some of our more diverse communities um, are more affected by disadvantage than white British people, perhaps. Um, so we all have to know that, we all have to be mindful for it, and we have to look out for the most disadvantaged in our society. On a practical level at school, when you're dealing with COVID, you know, our risk assessments take all of this into account. You know, we know that some of our heritage students may be more prone, so we will take special care, etc. But in terms of the bigger piece for disadvantage, um, you know, a school like Wickham High School, our admissions policies and processes can support disadvantaged intake um, more. We've set up a virtual primary school to help disadvantaged students in years five to recover in English and mathematics, for example. There are, there are initiatives and strategies that we can do to support and help. And we've appointed a senior leader whose remit is just to look at fair access and social justice not just in terms of admissions, but when children are here and their outcomes and their performance and their life chances. So we're putting money, investing time and energy into making that better. So that's, that's at one school level. Um, and then politically, you know, society, you know, this pandemic will have hit the disadvantage internationally very, very badly. So it's good to see the UK government, you know, talking about an international vaccine response. It, Etc. But collectively in the UK, we have to understand that disadvantage really adversely affects young people's life chances. And that should be top of our agenda to address. Yeah. And into the International Women's Day, um, and we, we, we focus on, 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 on women and girls and aspiration and, you know, having this conversation. But men and boys need to be at the table on this day talking about it but beyond this day too if you were head of a boys school how would you go about teaching gender equality bias and preparing these young men because they're going to shape this world with those young women um, and they can't do it alone yeah well this is definitely not about one side against another side um, this is about um, collaboration and partnership so this is everyone taking a good look at everyone around them and just going, yes, we are all equal, irrespective of gender or socioeconomic background or school attended, etc. So it has to be a collective response. You're absolutely right. So in a girls' school, for example, when we are teaching really sensitive subjects such as, you know, 
being safe in social media or it might be um you know online pornography you know or online um, sexting those sorts of things it can never be taught from one perspective so it has to be taught to take into consideration the boy's voice or the voice of someone from a different cultural background so i was teaching psag um, just before the lockdown and we were talking about um, safe sex and contraception and abortion, the right of choice or not, you know, really meaty subjects that um, generated a lot of debate. And we had 30 children, 30, no, they're not children, 30 young adults, there were year 13s in the room, all with a different perspective, all from a different, you know, background. And it was fascinating. But the materials that we used included the boys' voice. And I would hope that single sex boys' schools and co ed schools are doing that as well, that every voice is heard because it's all about perspective. And you can only change minds if you hear multiple perspectives. Yeah. Do single sex schools give a realistic picture of what the real world is like, or do they sugarcoat reality because the world is co educational? Well, I guess in many ways, Simon, I'd say to you, I'm very disappointed you asked that question, because why would anyone think that a single sex school is not reality? Um, you know, um, we know that girls in a single sex school in their large numbers study subjects like science and um, technology, engineering, mathematics more in larger numbers than they would in a co-ed school. Um, because they don't hide behind boys, they have the confidence to do it, they're told they can do it. And in today's world, if anyone thinks that a girl, because she's gone to single sex school, somehow can't function in society or reality, well, there we have an outdated mode of thinking that in itself on International Women's Day needs to be challenged. Agreed. Um, there aren't many single sex schools that aren't either grammar or independence. Would you like to see more maintained schools that are single sex? Because, you know, you put the argument out there that, you know, young women learn better together in a single sex environment, um, but there's not enough maintained schools. Should we be doing more or is, are, we going to get, are we going to get a divide between, um, between the grammar and independent and you know, main, mainstream maintained schools? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I just said earlier that there are about, you know, there are over two and a half thousand state secondary schools nationally. Only 400 of those are single sex. And of that 400, um, Oh, 220 are single sex girls schools, um, state schools. And they're a mix of comprehensive um, and um, grammar. There's only 60 of those 220 are actually selective grammar schools. Um, others can be Church of England, Roman Catholic, Muslim faith schools, um, et cetera, or just um, secular, you know, non-faith um, specific. Um, and I worry that single sex schools are under threat because of an economic model because economically it is cheaper to build unisex schools. Toilets are easier, dining facilities, changing facilities, all that sort of stuff is cheaper. And I think it's really sad if we start designing an educational system based on economic need, rather than the needs of the individuals and the need of society in terms of its skill set. Um, and a modern world does not need both sexes to come together to get the best out of it. Yeah, and it, but it's, it's, it has to be education first. You know, what, what do we believe is in the best interests of Absolutely. the children? 
Um, and as you say, you know, there's a lot of schools, you know, they start and it becomes a, a revenue piece, not just a revenue, it becomes a, uh, a survival, you know, a financial decision, you know, and it starts at the sixth form. You know, we see, we've seen some very high profile um, single sex schools that will, you know, have opened up in the code sixth form, you know, within the next five years, they will be co-ed all the way through. Well, you're absolutely right. We have seen it. Um, and I was aghast in the media recently to hear that, you know, um, the media speculating that girls were needed to sort out a culture in a boys school, a very high profile boys school. Really, is that modern day thinking? You know, I, I, I fly the flag for women, but I'm quite sure a single sex boys school can sort out any issues it has um, without having to go co-educational. Um, but, you know, in America, in the States, um, the single sex school movement had to go to the high court to survive. Um, and I, I think that it's a shame. I think single sex schools, particularly the girls' schools that I'm representing, I'm a member of the Association of State Girls' Schools, those 220 schools that I mentioned. The value we add in terms of the skill set to society is huge, and the best outcomes also come from those schools. So, why would government and society overlook a small but significant sector that is absolutely delivering a top-class education and top-class outcomes. Will we ever get to a point of gender equality? And if so, when? Um, I think we will, but I think it's going to take time. You know, um, I think we only had um, the Equal Pay Act in the 1970s, for example. Um, we still only have 24% um, of people at, um, on, on boards um, are women, um, for example. So there's a long way to go, but I think it will get there. But the political change is needed. You know, you, you alluded earlier to the fact that many women have careers but families. So do men. So when there is equality in thinking about childcare and parenting, that will help. When there are government structures in place to enable parents, irrespective of their gender, to access the childcare, to enable them to balance careers and family, that will help. So will is not enough. Individual will and preference is not enough. Societal and government structures do need to support and help with this. Sharon, thanks ever so much for taking the time. Um, this year's theme is choose to challenge. So please do use the hashtag choose to challenge because a challenge world is an alert world. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.